Good morning and welcome. We are on the final message of a series that we're doing called Kingdom Stories. We're talking about what it means to follow after Jesus and to be given a new identity in Christ. See, when you put your faith and your trust in Jesus, you are born again. You were given a new identity. And in some ways, we can talk about this as you becoming more of your true self and becoming who God intended you to be. You are also given a new sense of belonging. You belong to the kingdom of God with a new set of values and a new vision for life. Understanding this new identity and this new sense of belonging in the kingdom takes a lifetime of discovery. Jesus helped us with that process by giving us kingdom stories. They're called parables. And through these parables, we're given an alternate way to view the world, a new way to view the world, through the values and the vision of God. We see things differently. We understand ourselves differently. Sin and death are no longer our masters, and we live for a better future, an eternal life with God. So today, in our final message uh, of our Kingdom Stories series, we're going to be taking a look at a topic that is very basic to the way that God treats and welcomes each one of us into his kingdom. It's also basic to the way in which God wants us to treat our neighbors. And yet, as a pastor over the many years that I've served, uh, and as I've noticed this in my own life and in the lives of many church people, this is one of the more difficult topics to talk about in kingdom life. I'm talking about the subject of forgiveness, God's forgiveness of us and us forgiving other people. We'll do this message in two parts. The first, we'll be looking at the story as it unfolds in Matthew chapter 18. We'll be looking at some of the details and talking through what this parable meant. And then we'll be talking about in the second half, what does this look like in real life practice? What does it look like to practice forgiveness? So let's begin with scripture. Let's turn over to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18, 21 to 25. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. So one day Peter comes up to Jesus and he asks him a question. Maybe he's just having a bad day with some of his fellow disciples. Maybe he's just fed up with uh, the Apostle John once again. Maybe there's some issues going on between him and a Pharisee that keeps coming after him. Who knows what's exactly going on? Peter is irritated and he's asking Jesus, what should I do? Should I forgive someone up to seven times for the same offense? Now, there's a context to this conversation. You see, back in the day, the religious leaders had set kind of a, a standard or a limit to forgiveness. They said that a good person, a godly person, could forgive somebody three times for the same offense. And the fourth time didn't necessarily have to happen, but that was kind of their standard. Peter, understanding Jesus and knowing that Jesus' standards as the Son of God were very high, he doubles that number and he adds one, making that seven. 
Jesus comes back to him and says, not seven times, 77 times. Now, if you're wondering about the significance of the number, there are two things that are at least going on in Jesus' reply. Seven is oftentimes the number of completion in the Bible. And when he says 77, he's not giving a new numerical goal to hit. He's not setting a new ceiling for forgiveness. He's basically saying there is no more ceiling. He's saying forgive as much as it takes 77 times. The other kind of echo that's going on here in scripture is that Jesus is referring to another time that that number was used in the book of Genesis. When a man named Lamech said that if someone wronged him, he would be avenged 77 times over. He was talking about revenge and vengeance. Jesus was, in fact, repairing the curse, in a sense. He was giving a new way to live not with radical vengeance, but with radical grace. Now, before imaginations run wild with this, because some of us are already thinking, you know, three times is a lot to forgive someone for the same sin. Seven times? That's really generous too. But 77 times an endless amount of forgiveness? I mean, how are we to understand this? So this is where Jesus' story comes in. Let's turn back to scripture and read this kingdom story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children, and all that he had, be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Some of you may be more familiar with other translations of this passage or even the older NIV, which calls this, instead of bags of gold, uh, 10,000 talents. Um, either way, this is an astronomical amount of money. And to kind of bring this into today's terms, 10,000 talents or bags of gold um, would have taken someone uh, back then 190,000 years to work off. If someone earned a daily wage, an average wage, and worked for 190,000 years straight, not taking vacations or not paying for regular um, things like food and living expenses, it would take that long. We're talking about a debt that couldn't be repaid, not in one or many hundreds of lifetimes. This was ridiculous. But in this first act of the story, something unexpected happens. The king takes a look at the debt, has mercy on the servant, and erases it. He no longer has to pay. He's no longer responsible for it. He is freed. He is given mercy. He is given a new chance at life. This is act one of a story that we're going to see. And 
Something now happens next that doesn't quite make sense. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Act two in this story is where everything falls to pieces. It doesn't work because this servant who has been forgiven this huge debt goes around, turns to someone who owes him something small, and instead of showing mercy, shows judgment, condemnation, presses this person to repay, and throws them in jail. Everything goes wrong. And that's the point that Jesus is trying to make in this parable. It doesn't make sense to be shown so much love and grace and mercy and not to go around treating others in the same way. Now, our context is this. The larger context of Scripture is the story of the gospel, that God forgives humanity of their sin. We are given the gift of life because Jesus came to take on our sin and our death and sets us free. This is the great, amazing grace of God. And to turn around and not show this kind of grace and love toward other people, it doesn't really make sense. Now, Jesus ends this parable with these important words. This is how my Heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Forgiveness, says Jesus, is something that's a matter of the heart, something that takes place in the inner regions of our soul, something that happens internally. There's an external component to it, uh, a payment of a debt, and that's, that is part of forgiveness. But Jesus, as he ends his parable, ends with this emphasis. True and real forgiveness, as we offer it to one another as human beings, must take place in the heart. You are to forgive from the heart. Now, we're going to turn a corner in this message and talk about part two. Four different ways to make this more practical in our lives. Because let's be honest, forgiveness is a very difficult topic and I want to help us to begin to get some handles around how does forgiveness from the heart actually work? Four insights. The first is this. 
Forgiveness flows from God to us and to others. Forgiveness flows from God to us and to others. Forgiveness has a first act, and that's the way that this parable unravels as Jesus tells us, right? We have been given this great forgiveness from God, and that forms the backdrop for all of our forgiving. We are given this grace and mercy, and so likewise, we ought to do the same. There is a flow from God to us and to others. N.T. Wright is a theologian that I like to quote from, and he has a commentary on Matthew, and he describes this flow of forgiveness in this way. Forgiveness is more like the air in your lungs. There's only room for you to inhale the next lungful when you've just breathed out the previous one. If you insist on withholding it, refusing to give someone else the kiss of life that they may desperately need, you won't be able to take any more in yourself, and you will suffocate very quickly. Whatever the spiritual, moral, and emotional equivalent of the lungs may be, it's either open or closed. If it's open, able and willing to forgive others, it will also be open to receive God's love and forgiveness. If it's locked up to the one, it will be locked up to the other. I like this description because it talks about that flow, just like breathing. We breathe in the love, mercy, and forgiveness of God because we so desperately need it. We can't work on it by ourselves. And then we exhale. We breathe out. And that's how this forgiveness works. This is how it works in the spiritual life. Forgiveness is a breath in and it is a breath out. And if you stop breathing, if you hold our breath, the process in the flow no longer works. One more insight around the flow of forgiveness comes from this Temple of God theology that we talked about a few weeks ago. As human beings, we, uh, when we believe in Christ, we are now a temple of the Holy Spirit. And that means that our actions don't simply come out of an emptiness of our own souls. It comes from the indwelling Holy Spirit. Our actions, our thoughts, and our forgiveness come because God dwells within us. We don't forgive alone. We are not alone in this process. Forgiveness comes from God as we breathe in and as we flow out the love, grace, and mercy of God to others. The second insight is this, that forgiveness is releasing someone from your right to make them pay. You know, years ago when I first moved to Houston, when Amy and I first came to Houston to serve at a church, um, I joined this lunch group that was full of pastoral leaders and, and youth pastors and other church folks. And uh, I met a friend that uh, shared one day that he needed a guitar or he wanted a guitar, but he couldn't afford one. Now, I was really into music. I had more than one acoustic guitar. And I thought to myself, well, maybe I could let him borrow one of my guitars. Keyword, borrow. 
Now, that guitar was pretty special to me. It was a special Yamaha model guitar that I found overseas. I brought it home with me when uh, after traveling, and it meant a lot to me because I had led worship with it for years. Uh, I led worship with it at the church where I be where I came to faith. I had some custom work done on it. And, you know, sometimes you have a special attachment to musical instruments. They just sound the right way. They play the right way. They feel the right way. That was kind of my relationship with the guitar. So after several months of letting this friend borrow the guitar, I called him and asked to get it back. And that's where this argument ensued because it was his understanding that I gave the guitar to him. And so he gave this guitar to his wife, who was learning how to play. Now, I would never give away a guitar like that. So there was obviously some confusion there. And we got into an argument over that, and he wouldn't give it back. So what was I supposed to do? There was a pastor who wouldn't give my guitar back to me. Um, I was kind of at a loss. I was stuck. We got in an argument and in an impasse. Days and weeks uh, kind of rolled by and I was angry. I was furious. I, I couldn't understand how someone could not give uh, my guitar back to me. Over the course of several weeks, though, my heart began to soften because I began to think a little bit about what he had told me, how he couldn't afford it, how he'd given this as a gift, how this meant something very special to his wife. And yeah, I had more than one acoustic guitar. And so I made the decision at that point not to make him repay the debt. I thought of it as a gift to his family. Forgiveness is about releasing someone from the right to make them pay. And if some of you are hearing this story, maybe you're pretty bothered by the fact that this happened. Yes, I was bothered by it for a long time. Because essentially, it's unfair. Forgiveness is unfair. But that's the whole point of this. Forgiveness is unfair. And that's the way that God treats us unfairly. In the gospel, we are given a forgiveness because Jesus Christ came on to take on our sin and our death. He went and was bruised and mistreated and humiliated, and that wasn't fair. It wasn't fair that he hung on the cross and was abused in that way. It wasn't fair that Jesus went to the grave on our behalf. But he did. He did to show us a radical new way to live by the love of God, by a forgiveness. And on the cross, Jesus spoke these words. In Luke chapter 23, 34, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Our third point today is that forgiveness is a process that interrupts other processes in our hearts. So scripture teaches us that we live in a fallen world. 
We live in a world where we injure other people and they injure us. And over time, as one theologian puts it, these injuries are like barriers between us in our relationships. Uh, and if you live in a life of unforgiveness, you are surrounding yourself with barriers so that you no longer see the people around you. You only see the injury, the barrier. Now, there are different ways for dealing with these barriers. Uh, one way is simply just to let it fester. And this is basically torturing your own heart. Have you ever had someone who's injured you or offended you? And it, it's simply taken a moment, uh, a few minutes or a moment of your time. But you let it replay in your heart over days, over weeks, over months and years. This is a torturous cycle of unforgiveness as we allow these injuries to reside in our hearts unchecked and they have a way of influencing us more over time than even the initial event. Another way of dealing with these barriers is simply to let them go um, and cite that old phrase, uh, time is a healer. You've ever heard that phrase before? Sometimes when we do that, time does heal us because we are allowing some good processes to take place in our hearts. But if those processes aren't there, people can actually grow bitter over time. Because what our hearts like to do is find enemies and villainize people or things to make them out to be the target of our displeasure. So here's a kind of a goofy example. Years ago, Amy and I, when we were uh, living in L.A., um, I was driving. I was part of a basketball league, and we were on the freeway, and we got rear-ended by a truck. It was a really hard accident. My, my SUV at the time was undrivable. We had to go to the doctor's office. Uh, we were in neck braces and back braces for for weeks afterwards. Um, at the time, I was serving as an intern at the church, and I couldn't lead worship anymore. I couldn't even hold a guitar because the pain was so bad. The car that hit us was a Ford F-150. Now, the guy who hit us, he actually called me the next morning. He apologized. We kind of made up. It was actually very kind of him to do that. But our minds made enemies out of Ford F-150s for years to come. And every time Amy and I saw a Ford F-150 on the road, we'd begin to call out how bad they were. Stupid F-150s. It cost me you know, months of not being able to play guitar. It cost me the rest of that basketball season. It cost me all this time that I could have been working out. We made an enemy of that truck. Now, uh, years later, I, I still don't hold a grudge against Ford F-150s. I know some <laughs> good friends who own them, and I don't hold a grudge against you if you drive one. But uh, what I'm getting at is this. Our minds tend to make enemies of things because it's easy to focus our anger at something. But when we do, we sometimes make a larger deal out of something than it really is. And living in this way is torturous to our own hearts. Scripture actually has a warning against this. It's found in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 and 15. It says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone. 
and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Forgiveness is finding a way to interrupt these processes of letting unforgiveness just run amok within our hearts. It's a way of disrupting the bitter root. And when we do this, we learn to see people in a new way. We learn to take down those barriers. We begin to see people as human again. In a sense, learning to forgive is clearing out some of those barriers by seeing their full humanity. I'm reminded in this way of uh, Dr. P's uh, testimony. Dr. Peterson has spoken at Access many times. Uh, he's a good friend within the Covenant Church. And one of his examples over and over again is how he has learned to deal with racism in his life. He's been often asked, how are you not bitter after experiencing so much racism and unrighteousness? And his answer is very simple. He attributes it to forgiveness. Him learning to forgive, his parents forgiving those who have sinned against him. That is not allowing a bitter root to grow up in your heart. And these days within the church, as our political process in this nation have really run uh, amok and really have caused division even in the church, I believe it is important for us to be practicing forgiveness, to interrupt these cycles that let bitter roots grow up in communities of faith. One final word here about forgiveness. It is better to think of forgiveness as a virtue that you practice over time than simply as an occasion that you commit whenever something wrong happens to you. Forgiveness needs to be thought of as a virtue that we practice. Another way of putting it is saying that we as followers of Jesus are a forgiving people. I am the type of person who forgives. You are the type of person who forgives. That's who we are as the people of God. This is what I think goes back to the heart of what Jesus was teaching when he says, not seven times, but 77 times. Forgive as much as it takes for the process to be complete. Continue forgiving because you will find yourself in this broken world needing to forgive the injuries that are done to you. You will also find yourself in need of forgiveness as you hurt other people. But God has given us a way to live in this broken world. It is through the gift of forgiveness. As we wrap up today, I'd like to offer a few minutes for a reflection. Going back to the parable once again and what Jesus taught us, forgiveness needs to happen from the heart. And so I want to take a moment to do some heart work with God, to listen for His voice, to listen to the Holy Spirit and how the Spirit might be prompting you to respond to the story. Are there situations, are there people in your life that need to be reviewed under the light and the mercy of God? Is there a person that you need to call upon God for that strength to forgive and to release 
to remove that barrier that has lived between you for too long. Let's take this time to go to God. And together, let's say our sending prayer. Loving God, through all our years, let the church be a community where we learn about love and practice it, where we envision peace and work to build it, where we meet partners in faith who wish to abandon everything that cheapens our discipleship, where we discover gifts and offer them. May your spirit guide us toward joy and generosity, in Jesus' name, in the way of Jesus. Amen.